All right, so we're going to continue in uh, Councils and Thoughts by Thomas More. So I'm going to be covering a few chapters this morning, God willing, um, chapters 11, 12, and 14. Um, so 13 is a, a bad luck number, so we're skipping that one. Just teasing. <laughs> I have my reasons, which I'll get to. You never know with me sometimes. All right, so um, chapter 11. So it's quite a, a big title there. Concerning the beginning of the work of grace in the heart as being the sure pledge of completion. So, again, remembering the date of this and in, in the way um, they s still tended to be a bit puritanical in, in their, not only their sentence structure, but even in their titles. Um, the main theme running through this Sunday School series is encouragement for the spiritual life of believers. Um, he, you know, where we find in Scripture um, ways that we can be edified and, and built up. Um, basically, this title is saying how the work of grace by the Spirit is a sign of God's intention to complete your salvation. Seeing these evidences of grace in your life, that God will complete what he has started in you. Now, we need to acknowledge, we need to acknowledge uh, our dependence on the Lord each day. Uh, but there are times when uh, our, our, we need to acknowledge our dependence um, in ways because of certain challenges, um, especially when we are being, um, having trials before us. Uh, be reminded that we belong to Christ completely and wholly. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is partly given to us as a pledge that we belong to God, that we are among the elect. Now, along with the Holy Spirit, we are given a number of graces, um, blessings, you could say, uh, in, in our lives to enjoy. Uh, and these, uh, the author is arguing, these are just evidences that we need to acknowledge and be appreciative for, thankful for, evidences of God's working in us, in our lives to uh, to enjoy that he gives to his children as his children. So it's good for us to remind ourselves of this good work that God is doing in our hearts and that he's doing in our, in our minds, um, that we see the fruitfulness of it in our lives as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the, these blessings that the author lists for our acknowledgement and edification and to be remembered, hopefully, in times of future need, which may very well be today. Uh, our, our, you know, one, one need that we face is to know that there is hope in the midst of anxiety. You know, we deal with anxieties, each and every one of us. We're, what are we supposed to do with those? 
We're, we're supposed to put him in, the, the, bring, bring him to Christ. We're not supposed to hold on to them and, and, and worry. But we, we face these anxieties and we want to know that there's hope in the midst of them, you know. But a, a problem that we sometimes face is that we want to give up that anxiety, but we don't know how. I don't want to feel this way. How do I not feel this way? And we've been there. Now, what's, we've forgotten some elementary truths. If you start to boil it down, we've in that moment, we've forgotten some elementary truths. We suffer from some level of unbelief. Uh, we are anxious about something because of the uncertainty that this event, this trial presents. But what we have to remember and truly believe is that there is no scenario, there is no situation uh, presented to God that is an impossible challenge for him. No, no impossible challenge for our Father in heaven. And that it was he who willed for it to happen, decreed for it to happen in the first place. As he brings for various trials, you know, we are to be so prayerfully in tuned to Christ and what we have in him that we are to consider it joy as James has taught us. It is truly good medicine for our hearts to be able to, to look back and see where God has worked out problems in our past and have that as a sure sign that God will continue to work for us. We have those times in our past to look back on. Scripture says that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it. And in the book here that we're going through, the author reminds us that it is not, it's not God's way to begin the work of grace in a person's heart and then leave that believer to work things out for himself. That's not God's way. He would have us come to him daily for our needs. And in fact, it is glorifying to him to acknowledge our need and bring these things to him. You know, that work of grace in our heart is all of grace. It's all of grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to improve upon it, really. And even in our doubting, we find God is merciful to his children. Praise God for that. Even in our doubting, he remains merciful to us. So what are some of these evidences given in Scripture that we can look to and see in our own lives and, and, and take comfort that God is working to bring us to complete salvation? Now, I'm going to share um, a couple of them from the book. So first we have um, here on, I have on up above, and this is the drawing of the Father. Uh, that the first evidence the author notes in scripture is seen in John chapter 6 verse 44 where Christ is speaking he says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day well, why why is is this an evidence 
of a work of grace beginning in a person's heart. Because naturally, no man has a desire or a willingness to humble himself and come to Jesus. No one ever has. No one ever has since sin entered the world. It's always been prompted by a work of grace, by God. This requires a consciousness of the guilt of sin and the great need of of Christ's atonement, that work that he does. So, you, you know, what you see here is the drawing of the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit, working grace in the heart of the person. Um, because of that work that he has done, you can be confident he will continue to do that work in your life. You can be confident that when you take your anxieties to him, you will find peace if you will trust in him, even in the midst of very difficult times. We need to be reminded of these things. A second evidence that the author gives um, where the beginning of grace may be seen is due to a person's status. A status as a new creature, a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. Uh, There are a number of qualities possessed uh, because of the early work of grace in a person's heart. Um, And he he gives a a number of them in the chapter here. Uh, A new spiritual eye is given. We have a new spiritual eye, a new spiritual ear. Uh, There are new desires. These are evidences of the work of grace in our life. A new trust. Galatians 6 verse 15 reads, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What we can do, whether we can... We circumcise the flesh or we choose not to circumcise the flesh. That, that accounts for nothing. What does account for is that work that God has done in that person, making them a new creation in Christ. That's what counts for something, that work he's done. So in, in receiving a new spiritual eye, one sees as never before. He sees himself as he has not seen himself before. Uh, how, for example, how great his sin is before a holy God. His great need because of that sin that he can now see. Uh, in receiving a new spiritual ear, uh, his listening is better. He can hear things he hadn't before. He has now ears to hear. Um, it's attuned toward more heavenly things. It's not no longer turned off by these things. Maybe some of you can remember what that was like to one time, you know, pull yourself away from hearing that stuff. Maybe it was just because of the guilt that made you feel. I don't know. Often that's what it was. I know I felt that way at times before I came to Christ. Um, but it was even then, though, that was a work of the Lord beginning on my heart. It wasn't always that way. I didn't feel guilt at one time. But he gives us a new ear, a new hearer to hear, um, namely the gospel of Christ. 
the preaching of the gospel is something that he be, this person begins to delight in. It becomes a delight for the hope that it gives. Another evidence, a new one, is these new desires, what we have as a believer. A craving for a peace with God. I, I think I'd mentioned this earlier, even in this, this Sunday school lesson, in this session, rather. When we're in that state, when a believer is in that early state or coming to, to belief, he, he comes to crave nothing but a reconciliation with God. He must have that peace because the guilt is overwhelming. He must be forgiven. And the last thing um, I'll mention from chapter 11 in regards to um, these evidences is uh, a new trust. We have a new trust. Uh, this new trust or, or new faith given to us is in Christ. It is of Christ. And it becomes a very sweet refuge for us as we possess it. Um, the haunts, the places where um, the, the believer at one time in his former life and the way of living that he lived all of a sudden is now distasteful to him. It doesn't have the same luster. Maybe it, it never did, but it, it seemed like it, it was alluring in some way. The wrongness of, of clinging to former ways to compensate for pains in the world. That wrongness became now more real to him. He realizes that it was, that was never the way to go, to find satisfaction in the world. In fact, he can almost feel it because, um, at least that's what someone would say, someone I, using myself anecdotally, just knowing that when I was changed, these evidences in our life, and I'm sure it was the truth for many of you, those former ways now becoming so distasteful. These evidences, why does he bring these up in his book, in this chapter? Again, it's, it's an encouragement for us in our walk. Um, as we, we battle life and what it throws at us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, no one but God can truly know what's going on in another person's heart. All we can see is the fruit. But as far as you and I, we can be, try to be as honest with ourselves as possible. And if you are a young believer, if you are a young believer, not young as in ages here on the earth, but just in following Christ, um, which I know some of you claim to be, um, then you can take some comfort if you see these evidences of grace in your life. Now, this is a message that I would say is especially comforting for those that are just new in their faith and sometimes lacking assurance. Because that assurance is a gift, and it doesn't always, often doesn't come at first. All right. Let's go to the next chapter. Chapter 12. Uh, 
All right, to the believer, concerning the foundation of an assured hope. A much easier chapter to, to understand or as far as the title is concerned. It's a brief chapter. In this, in this short chapter, the author addresses our need to be careful upon what we build our lives on, what we build our faiths upon. Um, it needs to be built upon uh, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Christ, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's our sure foundation. It is only upon such a foundation where assurance of hope may be maintained. So we got to be careful where we're standing. Um, got to be careful where we're standing. This, this sure foundation it provides for us a constant friend in Jesus. Now, what a thought that is um, to have not only Christ as our king and our God, our savior, our redeemer, our elder brother, but he's our friend. He called us his friends. Um, in fact, uh, in John 15, he said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. It is a blessing to know what the master is doing. You know, some of you work in the, and you have bosses, and they're only going to tell you so, sometimes, depending on your boss, they'll only tell you what they think they need, you need to know. Now, granted, God doesn't tell us everything, um, clearly. Um, he hasn't revealed everything in his word about himself. Um, but he is our friend. He will provide everything we need in terms of a knowledge and a, um, in his sovereign resources to carry out his will in our life. And we can take hope in that. He writes in his book, he says, Now who is it who obeys Christ but those who daily stand upon him? Getting back to that, the idea of the foundation. If you want to be known as a friend of Christ, are you standing upon him every day? So I got a question um, to put out there. Um, who do you go to sooner or later when you find yourself in a painful predicament. Who do you go to? Easy answer, I think. Yes, Israel. Well, whom? The Lord. Yes, you go to Christ. Very good. Why? Why do we go to him? Okay. Yes. All right. Very good. He is our Savior. He is our friend. Um, we have seen this in our lives. We see it in the Word of God, most importantly. Um, you know, as the hymn writer, he put it very well. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
you know, having such a sure foundation to stand upon Jesus, our Lord, is where joy is stored up for us. Uh, he, and he dispenses it freely. And he gives it delightfully. Our Lord is not stingy in his, in his grace and mercy. He does this as we humbly come to him. Come to him in prayer. Acknowledging our need and that, the wisdom that we need in that situation. He, Christ, has paid for our right. He has paid for our right to these heavenly things by his shed blood. We don't have to come in to the throne of God in doubt if he'll receive us. He sees Christ when he looks upon the believer. So we have that right because of his shed blood. So we must take great care of acquiring these things um, to encourage us and, and steer clear of the world's allurements. Those things that we once sought in our former life, in our former ways. Uh, our delay, our delay in coming to him every day with our anxieties, you know, leaves us to suffer in a way that God does not intend. God would have us find peace in him. On page 50 um, in his book, uh, the author, Thomas More, he begins to write down a list of facts. Uh, these are facts that are only true to a believer in Christ. Um, and it's a fact that any believer can look to to renew his assurance that all the blessings of heaven are available to him in accordance with God's merciful and kind will. Always according to God's will. So I got um, five of them listed here on the screen. The first one is the, a fact that we need to recognize and take uh, comfort in is that nothing of the world, nothing on earth can fully satisfy you. You desire better than that the world can give. If you are a believer in Christ and that fact is true for you, then you can be assured that you are trusting in him, that you are standing on that firm foundation. If that is true for you, that is true for you. You are, number two, you are increasingly convinced that it is only what God says that you can rest your mind upon, that you can rest your life upon. You know, not that you can't nor should not trust the word of a faithful friend, but it has become more and more evident to you uh, that it is only God in whom there is no sin. And so that is a fact. If you believe that, then there's that evidence of that work of grace happening in your life. A third fact. Now, what Scripture teaches regarding your sinfulness before God, it's becoming more and more clear to you. Now, you know, I've been a believer for, I don't know, 30 years. And I'm still praying um, and asking the Lord all the time to show me where I am sinning that I'm not seeing. You will never stop doing that prayer. <laughs> but
But things have become more and more clear, especially as you respond in faith uh, to kill that sin in your life, not holding on to the sin. But that is a fact. If that is true to you, you see that sinfulness before God is becoming more and more clear to you. That is another evidence of the work of grace happening in your life. And as a consequence, you are more and more thankful for that great salvation that Christ has provided. Um, Steve mentioned last week, um, he taught us, you know, our salvation is, is already complete if you are in Christ. It's already complete. There's nothing else you can do to secure your eternal standing other than that progressive growth in Christ and that sanctification that we have. No more work is to be done in terms of um, our position before God. But our faith must still be active. There's nothing that, there's no work we can add to that, that position that we have gained in Christ before God, but our faith must still be active. It is only effectual unto salvation, our faith, if it is placed solely in the crucified Christ. Now, kiddos, have you ever heard that term before, crucified Christ? Maybe in Sunday school, okay, Israel, all right. You ever kind of wondered what, what does that mean exactly? Um, it means, if I could give my humble two cents into this and try as simple as I can, it means Jesus Christ, crucified Christ, is Jesus Christ as our payment for sin. When we look to Christ crucified, we're looking to him as um, who paid our ransom. To have your faith, your trust for the well-being of your life, your body and your soul forever and ever completely dependent upon Jesus himself. And what he did on the cross. Because remember, our faith is in a person, in Christ. Faith is in a person, on Christ. And the Bible calls this, what Christ did on the cross, atonement for sin. Uh, And that means Jesus took your sin and he was punished for it by dying. And in turn, he gave you his righteous, perfect standing before God. And so that's how we are positionally righteous in Christ's righteousness before God. You know, all of this is given to you if you believe correctly on Jesus. That is Christ crucified. We need to always be looking to the cross, no matter how long you've been a believer. Keeping our eye on the cross. Um, If it is a fact that your sin that you commit each day has become more and more clear to you. And you confess it to God for forgiveness for committing that sin, then you can take hope of an assurance, a hope and a comfort that your foundation is being placed on Jesus. If that's true for you. Another fact that um, the author lists of an assured hope is that you have come to learn that this Salvation is not for deserving workers, but for sinful receivers. I, trust me, 
as you grow in Christ and your faith in Christ, that will become more and more sweet to you, that, that fact. Our salvation isn't something that is a reward. It is a free gift of sovereign grace. Uh, in the book, he makes a good point that this salvation is not, again, to be seen as a reward for believing. You know, our, our belief does not save us. We do not have a salvation because of our act of believing, but a salvation by our believing on Christ. Christ saves us. Uh, Moore continues. He writes, he says, We have a salvation completed already by the atoning death of Christ, whom we never would have believed and who we never would be in earnest about our salvation until the Holy Spirit, by his gracious influences upon our heart, teaches our hearts effectually of its sinfulness. It's not done in vain. It's effectual, that teaching. And therefore makes salvation to be our hearts and to be our desire, our wanting, our new desire. Now, you know, I realize that it can sound confusing when a, um, a teacher of the word says that your belief or your faith doesn't save you. Because we all understand, or at least we claim to, understand Scripture's demand for faith in order to be saved. But it is good to be reminded at times that our faith is not what provided pardon for sin and reconciliation. It was Jesus and what he did. That's what provided for it. This should be a comfort. This is a comfort if you will let it be. Because sometimes we have a very weak faith. We can become depressed when we think how sometimes a weak faith, does that really afford us God's love? But to remind it that even our weak faith in Jesus is all that is needed for God's love, care, and attention. Because as it's been said before, and it bears repeating, even a weak faith in a strong Savior saves. It's in the object of our faith that we find our salvation. You know, because even as weak believers, we are made one with Christ. We are one with Christ whom the Father sees as one. We are the body of Christ. We are one with each other in Christ. Which, you know, is, would be a different rabbit trail to go down, but, you know, makes no sense the quarreling we have among each other sometimes. All right. The last fact that I'll cover here, um, and the last fact that more lists in this chapter that a believer can take comfort in, uh, if again, if this is true for himself, is this. Have you not also learned that he who has Christ for his hope 
already has everlasting life and can never perish. Is that not your hope? And have you not been led to look to Christ as your only hope? Sometimes you don't, you may not understand it all, but you know that he is your only hope. You know what? Paul writes about being a fool for Christ in the midst of the wisdom of the world. We'd lose everything for Christ. We put our hope and faith in him, our, our life, our soul. And we know that it is the only way. That is an evidence, a fact that you can look to again and have assurance of a sure foundation that you're standing upon. If this is true for you, if it is fact, then this among the others listed and not and even those that aren't listed, because there are more, obviously, um, blessings. These are ways to reflect upon the hope and that consolation that you desire in your walk. All right. Last chapter. Chapter 14. Concerning some things to be remembered. Because let's for, admit it, we are forgetful people. I've mentioned I'm skipping chapter 13. Um, and frankly, it's because it's more or less a repeat of what I just went over in chapter 12. But if you are, you know, following along by reading the book, then I still would encourage you to read it. It's still good. It's a short chapter. It's worth the read. Um, okay, it, it, is, it is sad but true. Um, that we are forgetful people. I'm sorry, I lost my place. It's sad that we are forgetful people. Um, so many times, God told Israel to remember. It wasn't too long ago when we went through the book of Malachi, and even before that, Exodus. That was a common thing, being told to remember these things. You, you should remember these things in, in the future, and you should remember these things that God has done in the past. Remember. Remember that what he has saved them from. He told that to, the, to Israel many, many times. And remember God's love and faithfulness toward them. The, the apostles, Paul and Peter, they, they continued that tradition as well. Calling us to remember. To put these things in our minds. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-15, through 15, he says, Therefore... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that you are putting off my body, since I know the putting off of my body will be, will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So, you know, when we're reading the scripture and we're studying it, memorizing it, when we're delighting in it, these are the things that we are to remember what God has done. So the author he lists some things. He wants to remind believers of God's faithfulness 
and the good gifts that he get that we get because of God's faithfulness. This will help us in our spiritual life. So chapter 14 focuses on some things that are, are good to remember, things that bolster our faith and encourage us. Um, and the author makes a point that just as it was important for believers in the days of the apostles who heard these admonitions from Paul and Peter, it's important for us today as believers uh, to be stirred up by remembrance of these truths that we already know. Um, I can't remember where I heard this. Um, it may have been going through that book by, um, oh man, what's his name? Talking about remembrance, isn't that funny? Uh, Respectable Sins. Who wrote that? Bridges. Thank you, brother. <laughs> uh, Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins. There was something you mentioned, true, I think it was him, true truths. Uh, these are truths, you know they're true, but they're so common to your understanding of truth that you've got them in the back of your mind so far that you forget about them. And you need to be stirred in, in memory. These need to be brought forward sometimes. So the first one that he mentions is, remember that your salvation is an accomplished fact, that nothing can change or alter. Nothing can change what Christ has done for you, okay? We live in a world that is constantly bombarded by change. Uh, I'm not a fan of change personally. I struggle with it at times. Because um, often this change that we experience in this world is, is not for the better. Although change can be good because as believers, we can change, right? We can be progressively sanctified, becoming more like Christ, being prepared for eternity. But the change that we often have to endure is presented as trials in our life. It is a blessing to remember that our standing before God cannot be altered. And of course, neither our, our, our Lord, our, our God does not change either. But our standing cannot change before God. Another one, remember that your salvation was accomplished when the Lord Jesus died and rose again. For by that death, our condemnation was removed. Again, Christ crucified. By that death, our condemnation was removed, which our sins deserved. And by his rising from the dead and his ascension, we have justification before God for hope for everlasting life and an abundant life, starting with our life now as believers. You know, something so cosmically important, preeminently important as the death of Christ, it can never be in vain. It, it, it accomplished its purpose perfectly and wholly, completely. The removal of the guilt and condemnation of our sin is inexorably tied to the power of Christ's death and his victory over it. All right, another one. Remember that your salvation was not accomplished because of any foreknowledge on God's part that you would, frankly, as a stubborn sinner, 
that you would have a desire for reconciliation because you wouldn't have. Or neither would you have a desire for Christ. God, so it's not based on God's foreknowledge of us doing this on our own. Because this desire for reconciliation and this desire after Christ, these are blessings resulting from the gift that God's already provided to us in salvation. We cannot, therefore, meet any conditions to, to, meet, to obtain it. Now, we come to Christ freely. We don't have to be in a certain state when it's time to come to Christ. Come to him today if you haven't come to him. Now is the time. God foreknew that you would never have any true desires after Christ until he awakened those desires by the gift of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit upon you. And from all eternity, God decreed to justify all of the elect. And in the fullness of time, Christ died for their sins and rose again for their justification. Another one, remember that no tears of sorrow for sin, no prayers, no, no duties of any kind whatsoever could have removed you from the position of a criminal before the justice of God. You couldn't cry your way out of it. And so you have been left simply in the position of, of a child before a loving father. Those whom he chose to love. So why bother despairing over your imperfections in your service to him and the imperfections of your heart? Yes, kill that sin, but don't despair over these things. Continually look to him. As you're asking for forgiveness and you have that hope, you know, again, pressing forward, your salvation has been the work of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, working together in covenant for your salvation. It will not fail. So remember that your Heavenly Father is ready to give. He is a gracious God. He is ready to give, and He gives abundantly. He gave us abundantly His Holy Spirit to us who have been adopted and reconciled to Him, to His children. Now we have been given the Holy Spirit to better understand what our Father has done for us. And what our Savior has done for us. And that returns to glory for him. Again, what is the chief end of man? But to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Us growing in that knowledge and gratefulness glorifies him. Acknowledge these things every day. Especially when you are downcast. We are enabled more and more in our walk in Christ. To look upon the Lord for grace to better love him and serve him as we do this. Lastly, last one here. Remember that the evidence that salvation is yours and consequently that all the good things 
of the covenant of grace are yours. Christ himself is yours. All of this rests on God's pledged word. You can't get any more secure than that. The word is pledged on behalf of all sinners who are conscious of their guilt and their need of Christ and who trust in him and him alone for salvation. Now that word declares that they shall never perish. That is God's pledged word. They, being believers in Christ, shall never perish. And all the blessings of the covenant grace are theirs. Yet, you know, you know that through grace you have been made conscious of your guilt and your need of Christ. And that you rest only in the precious blood of Christ for salvation. Therefore, to you, is God's pledged word. You have that assurity. And that word is unchangeable. These are the blessings. These are the blessings noted by uh, Moore in his book, in this chapter, that belong to you who believe. And if you have them in constant remembrance, being stirred to remembrance, uh, never despair, never um, disparage hearing the word preached and saying, I, I have heard that again. I've heard that already. I've heard that. Don't let these things be a reminder because we need to be reminded often. Let them be in constant remembrance. You cannot help to feel comfort in knowing them.